strength fitness training, how fast you can run a mile, how much you can lift with a barbell on your back, et cetera, is a very, very black and white metric. And black and white metrics help give people sort of really obvious moments of success, moments of achievement, which is really important for us all in our lives. And I think that's why strength training was such a pivotal component of me getting well. Welcome to the Bar Band Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbands.com. Today, I'm talking to hybrid athlete Fergus Crawley, one of the UK's most inspirational fitness figures. After a series of concussions ended his hopes at a professional rugby career, Fergus pursued powerlifting and today is also an ultra-endurance athlete. Earlier in 2020, he became just the second person in history to run a verified sub-five-minute mile and back squat 500 pounds on the same day. But Fergus is lifting and running for a cause much bigger than personal glory, and the work he's doing to raise awareness for mental health issues is the true highlight of our conversation. I do want to take a second to give a special shout out to our episode sponsor, Transparent Labs. If you want clean, clearly labeled supplements with ingredients backed by science, Transparent Labs has you covered. Seriously, no hidden ingredients, no proprietary blends, nothing artificial. That includes their uber popular bulk pre-workout with ingredients we love to see for focus and energy, plus vitamin D3, boron, and zinc. All the good stuff, absolutely no fillers. Use code BARBEND at checkout for an extra 10% off. Now let's get to it. Fergus, thanks so much for, for joining me today. We had to coordinate the time zones, recording remotely across two different continents, but still very cool. Okay, you're about a month, maybe a little bit more removed from the 500-pound back squat and a sub-five-minute mile on the same day. Adam Klink in Virginia in the United States is someone who did that first and you kind of responded in short time with your own accomplishment there. Uh, tell us about that. And is it something that you like just decided to do once you saw Adam do it? Yeah. So um, it was actually a post on Garage Gym Reviews. I think it was about the end of April, maybe. I got tagged in it a few times and I'd known about the sort of elusive 505 for a long time. It had always been in the back of my mind as something I might give a go at some stage, but I'd never really thought, you know what, I'm going to pull a trigger and give this a go. And then I saw Adam tagged a few times as well and just put it to the back of my mind. And then a few days later, I messaged my coach being like, you know what, I'm off the back of training for a powerlifting competition that never happened. I'm training for an ultra triathlon as well, but I'm sure we can quickly turn that running volume into a bit of a faster mile does this fit with the program for the second half of the year? And he said, not really, but I'm sure we can make it work. <laughs> and then once I decided that, I checked Adam's, I went back to the page to see if anyone else had sort of been thrown in. I actually saw that Adam had put up a post saying, I'm going for it. And I thought, oh, well, this is fun. So I actually sent him a message there. Actually, you know, what I did the following week was I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to test my squat under fatigue. I squatted 220 kilos in Olympic lifting shoes, which is actually my weakest stance. Um, it was an absolutely brutal, horrible 12 out of 10 RPE, but it was 220 <laughs> kilos under the seat. So I thought, you know what, if that's what I've got in me now, that's encouraging for the squat further down the line. That was on the Wednesday. And then the following Saturday, tested my mile and ran a 5.07 on the road. 
Um, but there was a bit of a headwind, a bit of a tailwind behind me. So I think, I don't know what it would have been like, but it was a little bit assisted, put it that way. But then I thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a go, confirmed. Sent, sent Adam and Dane a message, being like, you know what, I'm chucking my hat in the ring. It'd be awesome if we could just sort of keep in touch on this as we go. Um, and I didn't have to get a response for a little while, but yeah, it ended up just sort of being a bit of a, just checking in here and there and seeing how everyone was getting on really. But it wasn't, it, yeah. So to answer your question, it was, uh, I knew Adam was going for it the whole time. I think he knew that I was kind of going for it at the same time. It just sort of happened at different times. So I think that the banister effect maybe doesn't hold as true here and that it wasn't like I'd failed, failed and couldn't do it. And then Adam did it. I thought, you know what? It's actually possible. It was more just that the timelines didn't add up in the way that they did. Um, so yeah, I'm glad I went for it when I did. I'm kicking myself that I didn't commit to it a few weeks earlier, but that's just the way things go, isn't it? But it was, you know what? It was good fun having that. It wasn't competitive, but it was a, it was good fun having sort of a bit of a, a race mentality going into it because it meant when I had those more brutal sessions, there was somebody somewhere that I knew was committing to the same thing. So I thought, you know what? Push as hard as you can because they'll be pushing as hard as they can. So it was just a, it was a nice little happy balance to, and it, a little bit of a competitive spark in me just to see who could get there first. But it was all good fun in the end. I, I love hearing about new styles of training for, for new feats. For example, you know, a few years ago, no one was sure this was possible. This had, was a challenge that kind of Dave Castro had put out during some certifications and people have been chatting about it. But no one knew that, you know, you could confirmed run a sub five minute mile and back squat 500 pounds on the same day. Now, multiple people have done it. We know it is very much in the realm of physical possibility, though maybe not something that's easy to do by, by any circumstance. I'm curious, though, because when we hear about this, it's like, how do you train for that? So two different people have done this. I've talked to Adam, actually, a little bit about his training style for this, which wasn't super specific. He just kind of continued with his normal CrossFit training, but ran a bunch of extra miles and made sure he got in some good squat sessions. What was your training like? leading up to this you know in the weeks between april and, and when you actually attempted this some months later yeah so similar to adam a lot kind of i didn't drastically reinvent the wheel i just kind of adjusted a few things here or there and i mean at the end of the day it's just being a bit more specific for the goal at hand and the way i like to program and the way i like to be programmed is on the monday my intensity is at its highest and on the saturday my intensity is at its lowest and volume lowest monday highest on saturday so those those kind of invert as the week goes on and that didn't change because at the back of my mind, I was still basically starting my prep for a big, big eight-day, eight to 10-day long ultra that I'm doing in November, which I still can't go into too much detail on, but that was plan A. Um, so all we really did was basically make my Monday lower body session much more squat focused. And then because we thought, you know what, let's just get all the really specific volume in on the Monday. It was a basically a standard periodized Monday lower body session. Two, two sort of four-week blocks followed by two four-week blocks of sprint training. So it was a test followed by, I think it was 1,200s week one, 800s, 400s. And then we basically just went off the data and the feedback and how I was feeling for the next block and reassessed a little bit. But I'm not going to lie to you, a lot of those sessions didn't go to plan because I was balancing so much fatigue. On my Saturdays, I was still spending sort of four to eight to 10 hours in the Scottish mountains. Um, so there was a lot of volume to deal with and there were some sessions I went in and I was just getting crippled and split in half by the squat. I'd do two, I'd do two 400s and just knew today it wasn't going to happen. So the real challenge was actually knowing what to do next and mentally actually figuring out how to bounce back because 
completely honestly, I did not expect to get the squat done on the day when I did it. And I probably had another 15 kilos in me, I reckon, based on how I've been able to grind things out in the past. But I just, I'd failed 220 a few weeks beforehand because I was under a lot of fatigue. And I just got inside my own head. I think part of it, because Adam had done it first, I thought, you know what, what's the point anymore? Like it's gone, it's out of reach. So I got inside my own head, but it was just sticking to the plan really. And it was Monday, heavy lower and sprints, Tuesday, upper assistance. Wednesday was either a tempo run or a sort of 45 minute bike interval session. Thursday was squat assistance and a steady run. Friday morning was a steady five mile run with 10 by 50 meter sprints to finish. Um, but then that inverted to five by 100 meter sprints as well. But that was on the road. And then Saturdays was always my big volume days in the hills or long road runs. So that, that was sort of the structure throughout. It just, there was a lot of chopping and changing depending on how I felt, how I responded, because it wasn't, uh, it wasn't this time a case of hearing the numbers and hit them. There was a lot of falling short on sessions, a lot of changing, changing my load and trying to figure it out amongst the sort of different variables going on. But ultimately, I mean, that's the challenge, isn't it? It's, it's balancing those things. That's why it's difficult. So it was stressful, but we got there in the end. We'll get back to that in just a moment. But first, another quick word from our sponsor, Transparent Labs. You know Hoffler Bjornsson, 2018 World's Strongest Man and one of the strongest human beings in history? Yep, he uses Transparent Labs to fuel his performance. Now, not everyone is a six foot nine inch Icelandic world record holder, and you probably don't eat 8,000 calories a day. I've sure tried. Not sustainable for me. But Transparent Labs has the goods for every strength athlete. Clinically effective doses, nothing artificial, and a label you can actually read. Now let's get back to the conversation. Just to give folks a, a sense of, of your size, I want to dive into your athletic background in a second because it's it's super interesting and it's a big reason I asked you to be on this podcast. So thank you for taking the time. But for folks who might be interested at home and in, in training for this 505 challenge, we got to figure out the, the, the right t- term for that. What uh, What's your height, weight, kind of heading into this challenge and did your weight fluctuate during the training for this yeah so i'm 182 centimeters which is basically one centimeter short of six foot which is a shame I just so, say close. so close so i say i'm six foot though nobody needs to know um and i weighed 206 pounds on the day mm. so that's sort of my optimal athletic weight i'll vary from anywhere between 195 to 210 depending on what i'm training for but I try and basically always eat just above or just below my maintenance so that I'm sort of never really hindering my performance or gaining too much body fat so that when I need to perform, I have to be in a deficit for too long a period of time, if that makes sense. So it's um, that's sort of my consistent way. I mean, it's there's probably an ideal frame for this. And at the end of the day, my squat's always been my best lift. I've got short femurs. Um, and if you see me run, which I assume you might have done from the video, it doesn't look particularly gazelle-like. It was very much a uh, <laughs> sort of just send it and see what happens. But um, ultimately, I think I'm probably better suited in terms of my frame for this sort of thing. And ultimately, squats have always been my strongest lift, which meant that what the squat took from me was probably less than it might do from other people, for example. So. It's working with what you've got and figuring out what needs to be done to improve those weaknesses so that you can you can show up on the day really is the challenge, but sort of always always between the 195 to 210 range. 
and my height stays the same as you <laughs> well you, you know you never know because I've, I've heard people i've heard it might be apocryphal but i've heard stories of people going on like you know the smolov squat program and they'll they'll like gain a half inch in height because they're standing a little straighter because their spinal erectors have gained some size yeah, yeah, i don't know how, yeah. i don't know how much that how much might, i actually be years of training like a bro and then suddenly they get their scaps back <laughs> i i don't know how much i actually believe that but you know like i've i've heard people being like yeah and then i did the squat program and i got taller Okay, cool. Sure. Maybe you said something earlier in the podcast that I do want to earmark because it's easy to just kind of rush through it, but it's really, I think an important component of, of you as an athlete, you were coming off training for a powerlifting competition that didn't happen. I assume due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And, and I know you can't talk too much about it, but you were planning on going, or you're heading into a, an ultra, an ultra triathlon or an ultra marathon. I was. So I was training for the Keltman, which is part of the Extreme Triathlon World Series. That was due to be in June, but that's now happening next year. And now I'm training for my own my own ultra in November. There aren't many people who you'll talk to on a podcast who in the same sentence or in the same paragraph or in the same podcast will talk about training for a powerlifting competition earlier in, at one point in a year. And in the same calendar year, they'll talk about doing an ultra marathon, an ultra triathlon, what you know, a multi-day race so who are you and and how did you come to be an athlete training for these things that seem like they're on opposite ends of of the spectrum yeah so my background as i was younger was actually as a rugby player um so i was a very keen rugby player i sort of i was quite heavy as a child so at 15 years old i was 102 kilos at the same height i am now and on a rugby pitch that's just physics. I was a decent rugby player for a few years because of that. And then ultimately, just as it started to get a bit more competitive, there started to be discussions around sort of playing representative stuff. I had three concussions in four weeks, which was the end of any competitive rugby moving forwards. So I quickly had to fill that gap in terms of a competitive outlet, a way of challenging myself. And I just sort of found health and fitness. And I, I immediately... I immediately just found myself sort of trying to improve my running times, trying to get a little bit leaner and just still training like I was a rugby player in the gym, really. Um, What I quickly learned was that you need to balance those things rather than doing all of those things at once. So I did what most people do, which is I took 100% of a running program, 100% of a rugby strength and conditioning program, both of them together. Lo and behold, I was ruined after a couple of weeks. So I ended up training for a few triathlons when I was younger, tore my calf, never actually did one, and then got into competitive powerlifting for sort of five years almost. And that became a pretty pretty big part of my life. Uh, um, but I'd always sort of do just sort of high intensity. I'd say high intensity. It probably wasn't as a powerlifter. It felt like high intensity at the time, but it was. Uh, I was just doing interval sessions at the end of my lower body and upper body sessions here or there. No real structure to it, but as a rugby player, that was always something I was used to, so I kind of just kept it up. And then in 2018, I my last powerful competition was actually 2017, and I got to the end of it, and I just thought, I just didn't have the same buzz that I once did, and just sort of trained like a strength-slash-bodybuilding athlete for a year. Was enjoying it. It was a good, it was a sort of, it underpinned my life in some ways, in that training was something that, I kind of felt like I should be doing, should always be doing. It was a good way to keep me grounded. But in 2018, I kind of felt like a bit of a loose end. And I actually suffered quite severely from depression for 
um, almost two years when I was younger and kept completely silent about that because as a man, I didn't want to reveal the fact that I was suffering as I feared it would expose me as weak or overly vulnerable or let down people's expectations of me. The, the sort of standard masculine stuff that I'm sure a lot of us can empathize with. Um, that ultimately actually ended in a, in a suicide attempt in May 2016. And it actually took me another six months after that before I even told my family what had happened. That's how close I was holding my cards to my chest. And that's how ashamed I was of the situation I was in. But ultimately, once I opened up about that, I became a lot more comfortable with it. And yeah, I could just sort of confront the reality of the situation. But powerlifting was always, always an anchor for me throughout that period of time. And in 2018, I was working in London and I just sort of was faced with this white noise when I was sitting in my laptop. And I just thought, you know what, you've been here before, do the right thing, acknowledge it and what, and address what the problem was last time, which was a lack of fulfillment. So what do you need? You need a form of fulfillment. So I thought, right, what are you good at? You're good at squatting. What can you do to kind of do something meaningful, important, and actually to try and have an impact out with your day-to-day life. And I thought, right, I'm going to do some form of squatting challenge to raise awareness for Movember, which is a men's health charity focused on prostate cancer, testicular cancer, men's mental health and suicide prevention. And recently they focused a bit more on just getting people active and moving because it's all sort of part of the same, same circle there. So I actually, stupidly, decided to attempt to squat half a million kilos in 24 hours. So I, on my 23rd, was it, it was 22nd, 22nd birthday in 2018, I attempted to squat half a million kilos in 24 hours. And I got through 2,100 and something reps at 60 kilos, which is 125 pounds, give or take, and about 128,000 kilos in just over five hours and my knee snapped. So that was, that was the end of that. But I raised, I raised about £25,000 in the process and ended up sharing my story publicly, was overwhelmed with positive support, got a, really, a load of positive messages from people saying, thank you for doing this because I'd always saw, saw you as this figure of strength, but you saying this has made me more comfortable with my own situation, which was really amazing. And that's kind of what's carried me through. So that gave me the confidence to keep working towards these things. And I had a, I was in crutches, I had a bad knee, and I thought, right, what can you do soon? You can get on a bike soon, and you can get in a pool soon. So logical thing to do, sign up to an Ironman. So I signed up to an Ironman in May 2019, did Lanzarote. It was sort of my first real endurance endeavor. But obviously, as part of training for the squats, I had to get my aerobic base way up here. So I got back into longer running again. And just found like quite early on, I was running 750 miles, at 145 beats per minute heart rate. So I was really quite efficient from the word go. Um, got the Ironman done. And then November 2019, which was last year, my second big campaign, I body weight lunged 6,890 meters, because again, lower body, it's what I'm good at, to represent the suicide rate in the UK in 2018. On the 17th of November, I did a 13-hour workout with 13 men to represent the 13 male suicides every day in the United Kingdom. And then at the end of the month, I ran 94 miles from Loch Lomond to Edinburgh, which will mean nothing to a lot of people, but it was 94 miles. Ran that in 22 hours and 14 minutes. So that represented the 94 male suicides a week in 2018. So 
I basically just found myself in this big mix of training for lots of different things, but just really enjoying the variety. And I think a big part of it's been, I had that injury in 2018, yes, but that really allowed me to focus on endurance for a little while. And then as soon as I was out of the way with the Ironman, I got the strength back. And because of the motor patterns, because of the efficiency, because of all the time I built up in the years gone by, it came back really, really quickly. And only since January, since I've been prepping for this powerlifting competition that never happened, have I really got back to my previous levels of strength. And I think it, now, now it's just about me sort of maintaining where I am without getting injured, because it means that I'll be able to stay at these, these sort of levels where within three months, I'd like to say, I could probably specify for almost anything I'd like to take on. Obviously, unless it's like, cycle the length of America but just within three months I should be able to take on whatever whatever I feel in ultra in speed in strength I feel like within three months I can always really improve off the back of the base that I've got so that was a very long-winded explanation of how I've got to where I've got but hopefully that fills in some of the gaps it was it was detailed but it was it was eloquent and I think that that was necessary explanation because I think that the underpinning of what you're doing to raise awareness, to raise money, and to be a figure that people can see that that welcomes that, that welcomes the public eye to say, hey, I've gone through this. I want to talk about it. I want to confront it. And I want to encourage other people to be more open about their struggles and to engage in those conversations. You can't talk about that separately from what you're doing in the athletic realm because they really are, they really are connected. And I know the public support uh, and the outpouring of support you've received from the general public has been has been immense. It's been absolutely immense for these physical feats and for your awareness campaigns, as it should be. I am curious as to the response specifically within the strength community, specifically within you know the powerlifting community where you were already plugged in, where you were already known and knew a lot of people because you'd been competing in powerlifting for you know around five years. What was the response from those within the strength community? Because I ask that because the strength community is diverse. It is not like a homogenous, you know, blob and, and people have differences of opinions, but there is this underpinning of like hide weakness, show strength in the strength community. And I think that sometimes the stereotype is strength athletes will, will grit through an injury or they won't talk about the suffering that's going on in that part of their life, in, in their training. Was it a different response from within the strength community compared to the mainstream as you started being open about mental health struggles and raising awareness? Absolutely. I think it's a really interesting question, actually. It's not something I've ever addressed in that much detail, but thinking about it, my initial network, when I sort of shared my story, and especially what I was doing as it was squat-focused, was basically my friends, family, and then the powerlifting community and the rugby community, really. And the, the messages and the input that I got from all the strength athletes that I'd competed with over the years was really, really positive. And I think the, the overarching takeaway was that everybody found their solace in the community that the strength community gave them. The training helped mask things that they didn't necessarily want to confront. But then all that did was potentially perpetuate those feelings by making them feel like they had to portray this image of strength at all times, whilst in reality there were certain things that they wanted to address that maybe weren't in their head at the time such a strong thing to talk about. But at the end of the day, I think my initial project helped show that showing vulnerability showing that you're suffering isn't necessarily a sign of weakness it's actually a mark of strength and I think being able to couple those two things together 
was really important. And I actually, I actually ran a competition during the, the 24 hour squat challenge where I got as many people as I could to squat their body weight 24 times. And I got Terry Hollins involved, Lawrence Charley, um, Adam Bishop. There was a whole bunch of really high-profile people that got involved, which was great. And it was, it was brilliant. But they all kind of just jumped on it without a second question because I think they saw some affinity in, in what the, the, the sort of challenge was trying to achieve. And I think that it was only about 200, there were about 230 people that, that got, took part in that, which was great considering I'd literally started an Instagram for the event and just sort of used the network to make that happen. But there was a girl that took eight and a half minutes to do it or something. And then Adam Bishop did 145 kilos like that. So it was amazing to see the, the difference, but also the fact that people were fighting through something that was important to them for a cause that was also important to them. And I think it was marrying those two things together. It was great. And I think the strength community now is actually very, very open about how important the gym, the community, the training, the competition is for their mental health. And especially over in the UK, I can't speak for the US because it's obviously been a bit more disparate in terms of how gyms are closed, etc. But in the UK, it's principally been the strength community online that I've seen struggling the most with the fact that gyms are being closed because it's almost given them a sense of identity, a sense of belonging, a sense of community and some like-minded people to get involved with that they've kind of had taken away from them just as a result of something out with their control. Um, and as a powerlifter, it's much harder to adapt to training at home than it is for certain other sports. I think that's part of the ch- I can't think of another sport other than maybe swimming where you, you can't really adapt unless you've got a barbell and weights. There's no real way of training. I mean, you can do as many air squats as you want, but it isn't going to improve your, your top end strength. So I think what this has done is actually really, really hammered home how important that community is and how powerful the balancing of strength mentally with strength in the gym is. And I think the, the positive output that I got from the, the first challenge, second challenge and stuff moving forward is actually that it's a really powerful community that's capable of really looking out for one another. And whilst, yes, there's differences of opinion, yes, there's different modalities within the umbrella of strength, the commonality is that everybody's sort of fighting the same battles and expressing it in the same way. And whilst the internet's full of hate for this, that and the other, and that squat's high, those knee sleeves don't count, they're nine millimetres, this, that and the other, all that stuff everybody's fighting the same battles and using exercise as, a, as an outlet for something that potentially they need to confront within themselves. I'm not speaking on behalf of everyone here, but I think there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of consistency across the board. And I think the fitness community in general has got a really, really good foundation to work from to really impact people's lives positively by having these discussions. And that, that's ultimately all I'm really hoping to do is, as you've said, make it impossible for people to to decouple the athletic stuff from the mental health stuff because if they're interested in the athletic stuff they'll need to confront the mental health stuff and that's what I'm hoping to put across so yeah again along with an answer but I hope that um, that sort of covers covers my take on things I mean strength is is the weight on the bar is is secondary the weight on the bar is secondary to you choosing to squat it is is something that I have a, a friend who's a powerlifting coach who loves waxing poetic, and they say that, and and I think it, it hits home for me more and more. And I think during the COVID era, it's hit home for me, especially in an especially potent manner, right? Because we all want to squat heavyweights, we all want to clean and jerk a house, we all want to be able to run a four minute fifty six second mile. That'd be great. But at the end of the day, it's our decision to engage in physical self improvement. That is really the most important thing because if you don't have that, then it's then you don't have anything. 
And it's kind of, it, it's, you're not going to show up unless you make the conscious effort to work towards something. The social component of that is huge. And I think it's something during a time when gyms are closed, people are being reminded of that, yes, these can seem like solitary activities, right? But what gets people going back and back and back is often the community aspect. And sometimes you don't appreciate those things. And sometimes you don't appreciate the support that you get from that community until it's temporarily taken away from you. Absolutely. And I think with strength as well, the Western world is so gray in terms of metrics for success, metrics for wealth, standing, all this stuff, all basically the components of day-to-day life is all, it's all a massive gray area. And strength, fitness training, how fast you can run a mile, how much you can lift with a barbell on your back, et cetera, is a very, very black and white metric. And black and white metrics help give people sort of really obvious moments of success, moments of achievement, which is really important for us all in our lives. And I think that's why strength training was such a pivotal component of me getting, well, I ultimately suffered through depression for a long time and it didn't end the way it should have done. But I only suffered as long as I did without attempting suicide sooner than I did because I was so anchored down by that black and white metric of achievement in the gym. And I'm not advocating anyone at all not to be silent and just mask your feelings through training or anything like that. All I'm trying to highlight is that we need to sort of acknowledge and understand what, why we train and, and take those little wins from when we do achieve. I mean, progressive overload is very simple. It is, it's a very simple scientific development that we can all tap into, and it's a black and white metric that we can all make use of. And it was something that kept me really grounded whilst I was suffering. I should have spoken out a lot, lot sooner than I did. And had I done it, it probably wouldn't have ended with the suicide attempt because I would have had a much more, well, aware support network nearby. But ultimately, the only thing in my life at the time that gave me any sense of achievement was how much I could squat, how much I could bench. Because if I could squat 130 kilos, if I could bench 130 kilos one week and then 132 and a half kilos the other week, in my mind, I wasn't a complete failure. And I think that's a, that's a negative way of looking at it, but it's a, good, it's a good way of highlighting how important these things are in our lives and why we need to really focus on the communities in which we feel like we belong. But to, to use those communities to make sure that you don't get into a similar situation that I did and use training, strength training, as a way to mask a bigger issue. Use it as something that you enjoy, not as a, as a form of distraction. Um, and whilst it might serve as a very useful distraction, distractions only last so long and take me as an example of how that can end badly um and my big focus now is just to try and share that story and sort of share the mistakes i made so other people don't have to well fergus thank you so much for for sharing for sharing your story the lessons you've learned and in many ways the lessons we're all still learning along the way through your work and through the the light you're shining on a lot of these topics that i i think people are, are all too hesitant to, to broach in many communities, not just the strength community these days. So thank you for that. Where is the best place or best places for people to keep up to date with the work you're doing, the initiatives you have going on, and let's call a spade a spade, the very cool athletic feats you potentially have coming up? Yeah. So um, just at Fergus Crawley on Instagram, at FST Crawley on Facebook, but that's basically just what's on Instagram posted on there and then Fergus Crawley on YouTube as well which I'm trying to be much more consistent with now as I'm sort of trying to document 
every aspect of how I'm training for certain things, why I'm training for them in that way, what I'm eating to do so, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're interested in that sort of more hybrid style of training, then please do head there. And I'll be happy to answer any questions you do have over on Instagram as that's the easiest place to contact me directly. So yeah, no, any questions at all, please do send them over. That's Fergus Crawley. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I really appreciate you taking the time. A lot of important discussions. Much appreciated. Cheers.